It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. We are coming to you from Tampa where it's raining, so maybe not the most uh, you know perfect spring training weather, but I'm John Schwartz. I'm here with our editor-in-chief, Al Sanasiri. Hello. And we have an extremely special guest today. We have... The Yankees.com, Yankees beat writer, Brian Hoke. So welcome to the Yankees Magazine podcast. Thanks, guys, for having me. Good to be here. It's good to work together. I mean, you know, we kind of share kind of the same space in some ways, but uh, it, it's fun when we can actually do stuff together. So glad to have you. We do live in the same world, don't we? <laughs> Very much so. The Yankee universe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, you know, let's, uh, let's, let's get right into it. It's been, you know, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday. We've had three spring training games so far we are looking at the rainfall and a tarp that's ruined the fourth but you know brian what have you seen so far just uh since you've been down here for the last couple weeks wow you are really setting the picture for the listener there yeah you know this may be a verbal medium but i really very good yeah i'm watching rain pelt the tarp uh (laughs) gray skies in tampa um i i think that you know this is one of the few poor weather days we've had since we've been down here i've been down here probably three or four weeks and i think uh, what really jumps out at me most about this team is how prepared the younger players were, um, how how much of a turnout there was across the street at the minor league complex where, I mean, you know, 10 to 14 days ahead of time, you had Glaber Torres and Miguel Andujar and, uh, you know, Troy Tulowitzki was over there and Greg Bird and Luke Voigt and, and Aaron Judge showed up. I mean, you had bold-faced names who could not wait to get to Tampa and get this season underway. And I, I think that this is a hungry team. They know that they're good. They won 100 games last year. I know for a big stretch of the season, it didn't feel like they were having a great year because they were staring up at Boston. And Boston had this historic year where they won 108 games and went on to win the World Series. But the Yankees had a pretty darn good year, too. I think they're primed for more. And I, I think that it's going to be a heavyweight battle in this American League East between the Yankees and the Red Sox. I think there's a sense that Boston can't have everything break right the way they did last year. And I think the Yankees really do believe that this is their turn here in 2019. You know, it's funny you mentioned um, the players reporting early. To me, that's always struck me as kind of one of the late piece of the transition from, you know, if you will, the Jeter era Yankees into now, the way that they started doing things like the captain's camp late in, in that tenure. And you've really been able to see, or at least I've been able to see, and I'm curious your perspective, just some of these guys who I know I still think of as really young players, but they're actually become the team veterans in ways that they never could when everyone on the team was 30 to 35 years old. But now I was talking to Greg Bird about this today, and he's just like, it's sometimes hard to look around the room and realize that I am a veteran in this team. I'm a right. veteran in this clubhouse. Right, yeah. And Birdie came up in 2015 at the very end. Uh, it was electrifying here at the end of that season, and obviously injuries have taken their toll. But you've got leadership, real leadership in that room with 
Aaron Judge and you know, Luis Severino and Gary Sanchez. And I mean, this is their future core. And you're already starting to see the Yankees lock that up and want to keep that in place with the extension now for Severino, for Aaron Hicks. And there's probably more on the way. So uh, the stage is set here for the Yankees to be very good for a long period of time. And uh, if and when they are, these young kids are going to be a huge part of it. Brian, you covered, kind of speaking of that transition, you covered the Jeter era players, Derek Jeter's and Mariano Rivera's and Jorge Posada and all those guys. And now you're obviously covering a team with the young nucleus of players that you just mentioned, Aaron Judge and Luis Severino and, and even other stars, Giancarlo Stanton. Can you kind of take us through kind of the, the differences that, that you see just in the vibe in the clubhouse, what what it's like to cover this team as opposed to covering those guys and just kind of how it's it's evolved and how your job has changed and, and your days are, are different uh, now than they were just a few years ago? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I You know, I, I'm thinking back to now the core four and when they were all active and you felt like you were part of a traveling rock band. You had these mega stars who, I mean, who was more recognizable in this sport than Derek Jeter? And then it's almost like Posada, Pettit, Mariano, they were almost like secondary stars on those teams because you just had such massive personalities and bold-faced names. So I, I felt like in a lot of ways you were on a celebrity beat where you're there's kind of these celebrities are doing stuff but then there's also a baseball game being played so it's almost like you had to do two things at once and uh, now I really do think that baseball is the focus I think there's a more youthful energy in the room you can see that I mean you walk in the room you didn't used to hear music in the clubhouse especially before a game Uh, sometimes you'd hear it after the game you know they're celebrating they turn up the music but now you hear music all the time and I think a big part of that is Judge took over as the DJ it was a thing where he didn't want to be out of line But at some point, he looked up and said, why don't we play music in here, guys? And CeCe and Gardner and uh, Hicks and a couple other guys said, uh, you know, just nobody's ever really taken it on themselves. CeCe did it for a little while, but uh, he didn't keep up with it. And as a starting pitcher, obviously, he can't be messing around with the the jukebox or the iPod or whatever it is on the day he pitches. So, um, But Aaron Judge, position player, I I think, like I said, um, you look out right field at Yankee Stadium, the judges' chambers is out there. It's a permanent part of the park. This is Aaron Judge's team, and I think they take their cue from him. You bring up something. I want to actually jump in here with a little bit of audio I got from today from Gleyber Torres, so just take a listen to this. I know a little bit more about uh, the big league. I still, still learn every day. I still, I still be mature, and, and nothing. I just, just play the game. Uh, uh, for me, personal, I just be the person. I just try to, to be better every day, day a day. Try to learn, day a day. I mean, during the game about the other players. I think that it's, it's really important for me, and, and nothing. Just, just play the game and, and, and enjoy. The reason I want to play that just now is. The point you just made, Brian, I couldn't agree with you more. The interesting thing about it is, I don't know if it's a better or worse type thing. Like, you can't knock the success that the Yankees had when it was a more a tighter clubhouse and some and a tighter, not in terms of closest to the players, but in terms of the rules. Obviously, a little more corporate. I, yeah. is how I would yeah. put it. Yeah, and it worked. And, and and I'm not trying to suggest that this is better or worse. It's just, it's so clearly different. And I think it's a credit to, you know. First of all, I think it's a credit to Joe Girardi um, mm. for the way he allowed it to happen, that transition. But you look at – you mentioned Aaron Judge, the way Aaron Judge just came through and said, you know, I'm I'm not a loud and wild and crazy guy and I'm not going to be brash or anything like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, this is this is baseball. We're going to have fun in here and we're going to do the stuff. I always say, and I think it's been 
borne out. You know, I mentioned Joe Girardi, but CeCe and Gardy, I think, just did such a good job of taking the reins from you know, a very, very different leadership structure in that clubhouse and changing it into something that just works for this specific team and this generation of players. Absolutely. And I think that that was a big part of why the Yankees went and got CeCe. I mean, now we're looking back a decade later, but it, it, to roll the clock back, if you at the end of 2008, the Yankees did not love the environment that was in that clubhouse. They had just missed the playoffs for the first time in forever. and um, But even bef- back before that, it had kind of gotten stale in that room. And that was one of the big reasons that uh, Brian Cashman went out to California and, and to Las Vegas with CeCe to woo him. And it was like the clubhouse was broken. That's what Cashman told him at the time. It, it needed somebody who was going to bring it all together. And, and CeCe has been that guy. I mean, he's he's been this huge, imposing teddy bear-like presence for a decade now. And, and the team really just takes a cue from him as well. Uh, now that he's announced that it's going to be his final year. I really hope he can finish on a strong note and have the kind of conclusion to his career that he wants to have. He definitely deserves it. And, uh, um, you know, wow, 18 years in the big leagues and um, a heck of a lot of wins. Got a World Series ring, and I know he hopes to go out the way that he came into New York with a championship and a parade. But what a ride for CeCe Sabathia, and he's been a huge part of this team for for so long now. So you really hope he can go out and be be satisfied with the finish he, he has and kind of author a perfect ending there. I'm curious, Brian, what you think the perfect ending is for him. I don't mean in terms of the postseason, but you know, what's the ceiling for him this year, and and what do you think is possible to to put it bluntly? Well, I think that uh, you know he set the bar pretty high last year. I think you're looking for a similar season from him. He's going to be dealing with that right knee issue, and you hope that it doesn't crop up too frequently. But I, I think that. Should he have to go on the disabled list a time or two just to give himself a little break during the summer? I think that that is okay. The Yankees have some depth that they can cover that up. Let CeCe go out, make his 20 to 25 starts, you know, try and uh, put some wins on the board, keep the team in ball games. I, I don't think he's going to face too many lineups a third time through. I think that Aaron Boone's going to be kind of quick to make that hook, especially with the bullpen that they have. But really, I just want to I want to see CeCe... Uh, go out on his terms. I don't want to see him limp to the finish line and, and, you know, make something like eight or nine starts and be on the DL. Uh, I guess it's the injured list now, right, guys? Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Be on the IL for most of the season. I I just want to – I want to see him take the ball when he's supposed to, go out there and and battle and compete because, man, I mean, you watch that game where – he was at Tropicana Field last year uh, down, down the stretch in September. There's some fire in that guy still, man. He gets fired up. He likes to compete, and it's fun to watch. He's not the power pitcher he was in 2009 anymore, but he's a completely different animal now, and he, he's still very good at his craft. So it, I, I want to see him go as far as he can. At the same time, and I, I think that you know all that's right. I mean, I, I said this, I think, on our last episode. Sure, it would be great to see CC pitching the All-Star game in Cleveland because of how meaningful that would be. I didn't even I, think of that. Yeah, wow. I got to say, even more than that, I just want I want CC to know when his last start is. I would hate to see yeah. you know, his season, his career end without him having that actual last start that he's planning. Y- your point about the clubhouse and the way the clubhouse works now, it, it really made me think of, I, I was having a conversation today with DJ LeMahieu, and, you know, a new guy kind of comes from a different environment, and take a listen to what he was saying just about the fact that even though we talk about the ways that the clubhouse is different still does kind of have some of that sense of what the Yankees clubhouse is always supposed to be high expectations uh, confidence just a great organization um, you can tell that from the start I mean you got a lot of talent there's a lot to be confident in you can just tell the whole organization uh, everyone 
just around the locker room, around the facility. Um, you know, there's there's a confidence, there's an energy there. It's definitely a team that seems like uh, uh, winning is, a, is 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 the focus. So um, it's, it's pretty. I mean, that's cool to see. You know, you don't see a bunch of individuals. You see a team, and it's uh, it's pretty exciting. I think you can hear it there. I mean, I, I think there's still this sense that the Yankees haven't won the World Series since 2009. But you walk into that room, and there's still the Yankees. It's still the pinstripes, and there's still something about that room and something about the players in that room that maybe feels different for some of these guys. It's hard because we're coming off such a weird offseason in some ways. You know, you, you referred to this earlier. I think it's very easy to forget the Yankees won 100 games. <laughs> I think it's very easy to forget that the Yankees, for the second year in a row, ran into the best team in baseball in the postseason. And what happened to them is what the best team in baseball is supposed to do to you in the postseason. It was very easy. I know for me, I was banging the drum saying, you know, go after the big free agents that were there. At the same time, being down here, and I'm curious what you both think, being down here and seeing this team, it helps me remember at least a little bit like, oh, right, this team has an incredibly good outfield. This team has an incredibly good infield right now. This team has a really solid pitching staff that, you know, James Paxton is a huge addition to. You know, Hap and Sabathia are great signings. The bullpen is out of control. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe maybe you just do need to come down to Tampa to remember what this team actually was last year despite all the injuries. I think sometimes, you know, you see the team, you know, get eliminated, like you said, at the hands of the best team in baseball in 2017 in a really hard-fought series, uh, seven-game series. And then in a series last year where it seemed like we had the momentum, you know, after game two in Boston and and really, you know, we're going to win the series, it seemed. Obviously, there was a long way to go, but it just felt really good. And then it kind of went the other way. And, you know, I think that the feeling that you kind of naturally have, you know, on the heels of that is, boy, this team is really close. You want them to kind of go crazy, get, you know, whatever star power you can add to just bolster what was a team that that was really close. I think what Brian Cashman did and didn't do to this point was really, really smart. I think, you know, I, I've said for, for a long time this offseason that, you know, the idea of Miguel Andujar not being here, not being the starting third baseman was troubling to me. I'm just really happy that he's back. And I and I look at the nucleus of the team with the addition of James Paxton. And, and um, I think, uh, you know, it's, I'm just really happy that it the roster is exactly what it is, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I think there's a few things to unpack there. First, with Andujar, I think you can make a very solid case that the Yankees don't make the postseason if he's not on their roster wire to wire because, as you mentioned, he was one of their most consistent players, and there was a void to fill there with Brandon Drury was supposed to be the third baseman, as you mentioned, and Andujar would have spent most of the year at AAA. They were talking about playing him at the corners. He would have played some first base, and just never quite works out the way you – think it's going to work out on paper and he saw an opportunity grabbed it and said basically I'm never leaving on that level let's not forget that that was supposed to be a development year for him so you would have gotten more reps I know the defense is something he's working to tighten up I I think that a lot of that development would have taken place at AAA last year had he been there but he's learning on the fly in a major league game and helping the Yankees win games and how are you going to argue with that so uh, he's going to have to learn under the bright lights here I don't think it was necessarily a either or with Andujar or Manny Machado I I think that you know it's not that they picked one over the other I think that you have to look at everything uh, kind of from 10,000 feet rather than here at, you know, 50 feet above the playing field. And Oh, my God. R.I.P. your mentions. Let's go. Let's do it. 
Well, okay. Um, I, I think that, look, I, I said it, I think, at the winter meetings. I, I was on MLB Network or something, and um, they asked me to make a bold prediction, and I said the Yankees will sign Manny Machado. That's my, that's my bold prediction. If you asked me when the season ended, I would have said probably an 80% chance that they were going to do it. Manny wanted to come to the Yankees. You, you figured they needed a shortstop with Didi Gregorius being out, so it was just a perfect fit. But now that, as you said, Al, coming down here and, and looking at this team, I mean, this was a good ball club last year, and they've gotten better by spreading it around. They've they've tried to upgrade in many areas rather than just to throw all of their money at one guy who, look, I, I think Machado would be better than Andujar at third base. But does that help you when you're thinking about, okay, now you've got two holes in the bullpen you've got to fill. You've got a rotation hole because you probably don't bring Jay Happ back. You're going to have Luis Sessa and Jonathan Loizaga and uh, Domingo Herman in your rotation. And, and is that worth getting rid of Andujar? I assume you could trade Andujar here in this fantasy scenario. Maybe you get a guy like a Corey Kluber or something. And I think what the Yankees decided to do was they said, all right, Tulowitzki came on the board. Let's give him a shot at shortstop. See what happens. If it doesn't work, you can move Glaber Torres over. You have DJ LeMayhew. He can play second. You've got Andujar, who's going to get better at third. Uh, you got Voight and Bird, the winner of that battle. Probably Voight, but we'll see. Just kind of keep upgrading at all these different positions. And uh, I think that when with a 100-win team, you're not looking to make a huge jump. I mean, Manny Machado might be able to take a team from 92 to 98, let's say. But I don't think he can take a team from 100 to 110 wins. Change that around a little bit. I don't. Th- I think maybe he could take you from 100 to 110. I don't know that he can take you from Game 4 of the Division Series to Game 5 of the Division Series. I think that, you know, the fact of the matter is that team that they had was you know, a play a hundred win playoff team. I don't know how much better this might sound stupid. I don't know how much better you need to be than that to get the breaks you need in the postseason. And now you've brought up Machado's postseason as well. And and look, he didn't get Fair. the Dodgers over the hump. You know, I, I think that anybody looking at Machado's postseason would say that he didn't de- deliver in, in the biggest pressure spot. And but when the bright lights were on and everybody was watching, so it doesn't really matter. I, I think that look, that's over now. I think that what the Yankees did with bolstering that bullpen, keeping it a strength. I mean, Britain, Ottavino, Yankee fans are going to love this guy if he stays healthy. And the Yankees won 100 games last year, and they did not have that health. They missed Aaron Judge for seven weeks. Gary Sanchez wasn't Gary Sanchez because he was hurt most of the year. Hicks got injured at one point. Didi got hurt at one point. Uh, they never it, had Frazier. Just I mean, go down the injury list. If you can have a healthy judge for the entire year and a healthy Stanton for the entire year I mean just start there they're going to score a ton of runs they're going to pitch well I mean it's a winning baseball team here I'll ask you, uh, you you know staying in the infield I did a story with Troy Tulowitzki a few weeks ago uh, which is going to come out in our April issue and you know my takeaway from spending a day with him you know in his home was just how positive he is despite all the things he's kind of gone through as as a player, the injuries, and how positive he is, how excited he is, not only to have another opportunity, but to have an opportunity with the Yankees. And so far, it looks like he's been playing pretty well and, and really doing everything he could possibly do. What are your thoughts on him so far this camp? Very cool moment that he was able to hit a home run on the second pitch he saw and that it happened against the team that paid him $38 million to go away and said, you can't play baseball anymore. And he said, oh, yeah, I'll show you. And and look, he's got a long way to go between here and Yankee Stadium, and the Yankees are going to be very careful with kind of his health because he hasn't played a game in a year and a half. But 
This was one of the top shortstops in all of baseball when he was with the Rockies. Uh, obviously did not enjoy that same success with the Blue Jays, but he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's got something to prove. And this is a guy who's always kind of played with a chip on his shoulder and a little edge and some grit. I, I think that um, he, he's going to be a good fit in this room if he can stay healthy. And I know that's still just a huge if. But, uh, you know, talking to one of the scouts, Jay Darnell, who went to go see that private workout that he did for the Yankees. There were two workouts. There was one where every team was invited, and he did that at Long Beach State University. And then he held another one just for the Yankees because he – I mean, roll the clock back. This guy wanted to replace Derek Jeter at shortstop. He mm -hmm. wanted to be a Yankee. I mean, there's a reason he, he wore number two and now is wearing number 12. I mean, this was his idol, his guy. And so anyway, Jay Darnell told me typically those, those showcases go about 10 or 15 minutes, and you see a guy – throw a ball you see him hit Tulowitzki's went for an hour and at the end of it he was still saying hey do you want me to run the bases what do you what do you need to see me do I, that's how confident he is that he can come back and do this he just wants a chance and the Yankees are giving him that chance so whether it turns into something or not I, I mean it still remains to be seen um, there's a lot like I said there's a long way to go and, and baseball is a grind even the healthiest players do have injuries at, at some point and that that can change the storyline but I think this guy is motivated and it doesn't hurt he's going to see the Blue Jays 19 times this year if he's on the major league roster and obviously he's got something to prove against that club and, and he also told a story about how his three-year-old son <laughs> his son was three when he was with Toronto when he played his last major league game and uh, he doesn't remember dad playing baseball so he remembers dad working out and going to the gym and trying to rehab and get better. But this game here, with the one I'm talking about at Steinbrenner Field, now he's five years old, and he saw his dad hit a home run on the second pitch he saw. And that's pretty cool. And so uh, you hope you have more stories like that. I mean, baseball is a, a game of stories, and that, that was a good one so far for this spring. And, but also, just to put a pin on that, that wasn't off a deep member of the Blue Jays 40-man roster. That was off Marcus Stroman. So, he's pretty know. good. Yeah, mm -hmm. I've heard. <laughs> We're going to take a one-minute break here, but when we come back, you know, we just want to talk a little bit with Brian about how it's been, what he's seen, what he's expecting uh, beat writing in 2019 to look like. So stick with us. Hi, this is Aaron Judge. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. We're back. Brian, how many years is this on the beat for you now? Oh, gosh, you're going to make me do math. I 2007 am. was my first year, so... Uh, what is that now? 12, 13 years here? So you've um, seen some things. 2007 was the final year of Joe Torre. So I covered Torre's final year, then Girardi's first year, the closing of the old stadium, the opening of the new one, the World Series championship, uh, the, the retirements of all of the core four. So yes, I, I think that <laughs> you could say I've, I've seen some pretty cool stuff, had a front row seat for stuff I'm going to be talking about for a very long time. As you look at entering whatever year 13 or 12, however you want to do the math, you know, what, what is the biggest difference from what you were doing when you started on the beat? Social media. Um, you know, 2007, I, I don't think Twitter was a thing yet. If it was, it wasn't what it is now. Um, I think that Facebook was just something that college kids were using at the time. Instagram, I think, didn't exist. I, I don't even think the, uh, the iPhone existed at that point. So uh, it, the world has completely changed. I remember carrying around this weird little BlackBerry-looking kind of knockoff thing my first year on the beat with a terrible camera and... And now we're all just, uh, we're all photojournalists, basically. You know, I remember that in 2007, you would write, um, you'd write your blog, and uh, there wasn't tweeting or anything like that. And, you know, you'd put the lineup up, and that was groundbreaking stuff. And the fact that you could have a lineup an hour before game time was 
was kind of like, wow, I, I can't believe that we're getting this information. And so I now think now we are not in a hour to hour. We're not in a 24 hour news cycle. I mean, we are in a minute to minute news cycle. So, um, you know, what happened three minutes ago may not even be news anymore. And if I have breaking news right now, within three minutes, everybody in the world is going to have it and know about it. So I think that the, uh, the level of competition has increased because the volume has increased. But for the consumer uh, or the fan at home who is who wants to know every little detail or see what's going on at Yankee Stadium, I mean, there has never been a better time. Access has never been better for a fan to be closer to the team that he, he or she uh, loves because the players are more accessible now. You can tweet it. Guys like Aaron Judge, I, it doesn't guarantee he's going to tweet back, but he might tweet something out that you can see. And, and so I think that the walls are coming down in a lot of ways where we in the media and the players are closer to the fans than ever before. It's so funny to hear you say it. I mean, we're, we're across the wall right now uh, from – you know, George King and Pete Caldera and, you know, Jack Curry was in there and Michael Kay, you know, it's so funny for me to hear you talking about, you know, the good old days when all you had to do was blog or when all you yeah. had to do was write online. I, I like, thought about the same thing. Like <laughs> when you're talking about 2007, like being in the good old days in my mind, I'm like, not, not necessarily good. Not, old days. 19, I don't want the words not, in not 1987. No, I'm not saying dial up internet days, but <laughs> you know, we had Wi-Fi and stuff and we thought that, we thought this is, uh, you know, as good as it's going to get. And it's just gotten better and better. And the quality of everything. Uh, look, I mean, there's a flood of stuff. I always say it's kind of like trying to drink from a fire hydrant or a fire hose, you know, trying to read Twitter. Um, and there's some really good stuff out there. And there's a lot of not so good stuff. And um, it's just a lot of noise um, that you have to kind of filter through. But yeah, in terms of, you know, breaking news or, or knowing what's going on, they, it has chopped down all of the barriers. And I think that, um, you know, you, you don't have to wait for your morning paper to come. It's not 1987, as you said. Mm. Um, it, there is no more holding a story and hoping that, all right, I've got this story and I'm going to hold it for the rest of the day because uh, I want it to be on the back page of the paper tomorrow. That That's not the world we live in anymore. If you have a story, you better get it out there quick because you're going to get beat if you hold it. I think we joked about this last year, actually, you know, we we got, we print out a monthly schedule here, so I mean, we're not breaking anything, like you know. Um, and there was a story I did last year when I went down to Charleston with Danny Burrell, and one thing that happened while I was down there was for the first time Dermis Garcia started throwing some bullpens, and yes. obviously that didn't end up happening anymore. That that experiment seems to be done, but I remember writing the story, and in my head, I knew that I had seen this. I knew I had seen something special, but it was also he was doing it out in the open. Any reporter who happened to be in Charleston could see it. So I couldn't write the story as it was a breaking news story, even though, you know, if I were writing this just for the web, I would have written like this incredible, like weird thing that I saw, you know, breaking news, push out all over to everyone's smartphones. It just so happened when the story did come out about, I don't know, three weeks later, no one had reported it yet. No one had seen it. So I've, I was sitting there counting the days until this thing went live because I'm like, am I actually breaking news right now? But again, like, Yes, the answer ended up being yes. I did break news per se, but I couldn't write it as breaking news because I had no sense it was. What were the chances that story would just yeah. like hold there for three weeks without anyone noticing it? It's, it's just such a get. weird thing. Too bad it didn't work out. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I don't, I'm not. I'm not certain. You know what happened? And I'm, I don't want to speculate too much. He started hitting at the same time he started pitching, and he had been struggling at the plate. And I think that I don't think they're done with the experiment necessarily. I think that they want to see if his hitting can continue before they start it up again. Cause right. you know, 
talking to coaches and scouts and things like that afterward, they it seemed like his focus turned so much to pitching that he got out of his own head on the hitting, and it's a long way to go before he can become the offensive prospect he had been. I think he fell off the top 30 this year, but if he hits, I think they'd rather let him do that if that's what makes him more comfortable. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not certain he's done with it yet. We'll see. Brian, I, I want to ask you one other question um, in relation to the kind of the, the way that the the walls have kind of been brought down and the barriers are, are broken. Um, as somebody whose job it is to cover the team, be on the beat and, and break news when you can break news, one other huge significant change that you kind of alluded to is that not only are you as a beat writer, a photojournalist now because of Twitter, but also the um, subjects of your stories, uh, the athletes themselves are also able to break their own news and mm-hmm. do it on a minute to minute basis. Um, and a lot of times if an athlete in, in any sport wants to break a story, they sure as heck don't, you know, in the old days, I think they would wait for their favorite writer to to come in and, and give them the scoop, so to speak. Now they are the scoop themselves. Right. Um, what are your thoughts just on it, what it's like now to cover athletes who can break their own news and do so frequently? Wow. Um, I, I think it's cool. I, I do. I, I think that it's good for the players to be able to have that uh, line of communication directly to the fans. And you're seeing it with stuff. I mean, that was the whole concept behind Jeter and the, the Players' Tribune, having players be able to write stories and communicate directly. I hope, personally, that it doesn't take over. I, I hope that that's not the way of the future. I hope that there's still a need for people like myself, whose job it is to kind of give context and analyze. Because I think that what you're seeing when you get Player X communicating directly you're only getting one voice you're getting one player speaking for himself and what we do is try and talk to as many people as possible to kind of give context and tell a story and and really cover all of the angles so I think that the way I see something may be different than the way you see it Al and I think that if you're only getting one voice then you're not getting the complete story or or the complete worldview so um, I think that it's it's a useful communication tool i mean i think that the players in this room don't really abuse it i I don't think we have too many guys who are going to go you know i don't have alerts set on my phone saying oh my gosh what is he going to say today you know that we there's nobody quite like that in the yankees world but i know with other teams i mean trevor bauer is the one name that comes to my mind You, you don't know what is going to be said and I think that's probably caused a few gray hairs in the Cleveland camp, mm-hmm. um, not just in the media world, but in the front office as well. So, um, you know, Jason Zillow and his team are, are good at uh, kind of telling these guys what they should and should not be able to do on social media. But it's been a learning curve. My job is still to report what's going on with the Yankees uh, at every level of the organization. And sometimes that's not what's happening in the clubhouse. Sometimes that's upstairs with Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner and, and them and uh, maybe – they don't know what's going on in the clubhouse and vice versa. So I, I think that there's definitely a place for all of it. I feel like there's been a course correction in some ways. I feel like for a while it was what can you do as fast as possible? And now there's the sense that like it doesn't matter what you do as fast as possible because like you said, it's a rolling timeline. Like <laughs> if they don't get that you got it, someone else has it and it's totally lost who had it. Do you think that there's more of an emphasis now on synthesis and analysis of, you know, what's happening as opposed to just this is who's talking to who and this is the deal i i think that i mean look it's great to be first it's better to be right i i I always want to make sure that 
accuracy counts in our our world and i i think that you build up this trust with the readers because they can see that if something that i'm tweeting or reporting something with my byline on it is correct and that's hugely important especially in this world where you can't always believe everything you see out there on social media. So I, I think that the first time you start to lose that, you, you lose some of your value and, and some of your cachet there. So uh, that's always the first thing. But I think that analysis is definitely something in context. That's something we've talked about at MLB.com that we want to do more of. It's not just telling people that the Yankees won today 5-3. to three. Most people know what the score is. Most people were watching the game or at the game or listening to John and Susan on the radio. You guys know who, that the final score was 5-3 to three and Judge hit a two-run homer in the seventh inning. That's not doing anything. I, I think that what our job is to do is to provide context. How does that fit into the narrative of the season? What are the bigger storylines there? What does it mean for tomorrow? What does it mean for next week? What does it mean for the rest of the month? So I, I think that there are all these different angles that go beyond just the final score of the game and, and who's tomorrow's starting pitchers are. I think we can do more. Um, we've been trying to do more, and I think we're going to continue to to improve our content because that is what readership wants out there. The, the way that we consume news has changed, and I, I think it's probably, who knows what it's going to be 10 years down the line in 2029. Uh, I think it's, it's this ever-changing thing, and uh, we'll continue to grow and adapt with it, but definitely there is a more of a demand for context and analysis and kind of uh, covering more of the angles than just telling you who won the game because you already know that. So with that in mind, you know, Brian, I feel like you do an excellent job in terms of the ways you communicate with people on social media and things like that. Thank you. What is it that you want from that conversation? I mean, obviously, professionally, it helps you to engage with these people. But, you know, what can you gain from not the horrible people on Twitter? <laughs> um, no, and, there are none. Yeah, there are well, no horrible people on the internet. Come maybe on. we should ask some of the female beat writers about that. But, um, Whoa, yeah. <laughs> I'm tapping out on that one, guys. What, what, how can you benefit from the conversation? And what do you want the conversation to be with your readers? I enjoy good back and forth. I, I think that uh, we are very fortunate that, well, first of all, I'm very fortunate that I get to go to the ballpark every day and watch baseball, and that is what I'm paid to do. That is my profession. I mean, God, that's what I dreamed of growing up. I could never have been conceived of that when I was a kid. So um, the fact that somehow this has all come true, we're very fortunate to have that access to people where if you want to know why a manager made a certain move or why a player does a certain thing or why is this that way or why did a team do that? That's my job to ask those questions. So um, I, I think that's a productive back and forth right there. I mean, let's start with that. I think that when a fan is curious about something, that makes me think, well, there's probably a lot of fans who are curious about that as well. And so, I mean, that's happened a lot where, you know, if we do one of our mailbags and I'm answering fan questions, I'll do that. Uh, a couple days in advance just to make sure is there something I can go ask a player about to answer a question because I don't have all the answers. You know, my job is to ask questions. And, you uh, have all the questions too, it seems. Yeah, so, I mean, look, there are, especially with the Yankees, I mean, there are so many Yankee fans out there and they watch every pitch of every game. I mean, these people live and die with the outcome and that kind of fanaticism, I mean, that's why we call them fans, right? There is a definite perspective there that I never want to lose touch with. I never want to lose touch with what it is to 
go to a game and buy a hot dog and scream your head off and go home with your throat hurting and a sunburn because you were at the stadium all day. I mean, being a fan is fun. And just the fact that we get to be in the clubhouse and talk to these guys, I don't want to get too far separated from that world where, I mean, I grew up doing that. I grew up buying tickets to games and getting autographs and stuff. And um, I remember what I used to think about as a fan and to now be the one who has the power or the ability to answer those questions. I think that's huge. So look, Brian, before we can present you with the uh, watch that we give all guests of the Yankees Magazine podcast, you know, it's it's late February here. I think it's perfectly fair time to say what is your exact prediction for the season and uh, because we're going to hold you to it, obviously. Well, you know, I haven't thought a whole lot about this yet but the number that jumps into my head right now is 103 103 uh 103 wins and i think like i said is that just health i think that there's some of that i think there's some luck there but like i said i don't think that this is going to be a year where you see this team jump from 100 to 110 um i i think that they've upgraded enough i think that the competition remains strong in the american league um especially in their own division i think that boston while I don't think Boston has gotten better, that, that's the one thing I would say is that you look up and you say, all right, the Yankees got Jay Happ and they brought back CeCe and Gardy and Ottavino and Britton and uh, you know they made these moves for LeMayhew and Tulowitzki. What did the Red Sox do? And we were just down in Fort Myers and it was like, uh, well, they, they re-signed Nathan Evaldi. Was, oh, okay. Um, so, I mean, they're content. They, they won 108 games. They, they won a World Series, but I don't think they've gotten better. I don't think you can make that case, and I think the Yankees have gotten better. So I think this AL East race is going to be tighter than it was last year. I think that they've closed some of the gap there. I don't think they're going to be eight games separated. Um, and, you know, gosh, guys, this is the Yankees Magazine podcast. I work for Yankees.com. What am I going to say here? All right. They win the American League East. Once you get in the playoffs, anything can happen. You know what Derek Jeter you always used to say? The playoffs are a crapshoot. So you get in there, you avoid that wild card game. I think that is a huge first step. Um, you know, Hal Steinbrenner said they're tired of playing in wild card games. So we'll see if they can do that. And once you're in, you got to be in it to win it. And crazy things happen in October. But this is a team that, as Brian Cashman said, has the potential to go all the way. You just have to get there first. 103 wins. Alias champions. It's at B R Y A N H O C H if you want to weigh in on that. You know what happened the last time they won 103, guys? Was it 2009? That was the 2009 yeah. World Series champion. Brian, thank you so much for joining us on this today. To everyone listening, we're just getting started. You know, I mean, I, I think we talked about in the last episode we had that, you know, it was actually spring training and the players had reported. And meanwhile, now spring training games are happening. It's getting closer and closer. We're. You know, by the time this comes out, it's going to be exactly one month to the day of opening day. So we're getting close. And it's not just baseball you have to be looking forward to. Our guest, Brian, he got two books that are coming out this season. The Baby Bombers is being updated in paperback through the 2018 season, and that's coming out in April. And of course, look for Mission 27, which he's writing with Mark Feinsand. The book reunites the 2009 team, telling stories that couldn't be told then. That comes out June 4th. That's going to be an amazing thing to check out. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, anywhere else. If you want to read more of Brian's stuff day-to-day, head to yankees.com. Of course, while you're there, make sure to check out yankees.com magazine to read our long-form content. Or hit yankees.com publications to buy a subscription, buy a single issue, whatever you want to do. Follow us on Twitter, at Yanks Magazine. And of course, of course, of course, subscribe, review, send us letters to letters at podcast.com. We'd love to hear from you and we will speak to you soon. Have a great one. Bye. 
Hi, this is Chad Green. You don't have to wait for the first pitch to get caught up on some of the best stories about your 27-time world champion Yankees. Subscribe to and download the Yankees Magazine podcast by visiting yankees.com slash podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.